Good morning, Shades. Glad that you're here to worship with us today. And it's been a joy to be in this series called In the Wilderness. I know that Chad Cossaboom and Jacob Simmons and myself have really enjoyed sharing God's Word with you. But don't worry, the B team is almost done. And we're going to get first string back on the field next week when Pastor Danny returns. And we're so grateful for him. In fact, let's just do this real quick. I, I actually hear that he's on live stream today. So everybody on the count of three, we're going to say, we miss you, Danny. Come soon. Okay, ready? One, two, three. We miss you, Danny. Come soon. Okay, so we're looking forward to having him back here this next week. Well, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been forgotten by a parent before? Have you ever been forgotten by a parent before? Okay, all right. For those of you that don't have your hand raised, I'm so grateful that your parents are better than the rest of our parents, that you have such great parenting. Whenever I think about being forgotten, I think about middle school, and I think about Wednesday, a particular Wednesday in middle school, and Wednesday was my dad's day off, and it was the only day that I didn't ride the bus, and so I remember uh, waiting for dad to pick me up in carpool line. The bell rang, and I got out there, and I'm looking at the carpool line. The carpool line was forever long, so I just figured he was back down the street, so I'm playing around, horsing around, having a good time with my friends, and then the line gets a little bit shorter, and I, I look to the end of it, and I realize I still don't see my dad. Now, my dad's car was unmistakable. It was a 1987 Chevrolet Suburban that was two-tone, brown on brown, very attractive vehicle, brown on brown, two-tone, 1987 Chevrolet Suburban. I didn't see it, so I went over to the office, and they had a little box right there, and I pulled down the phone, and uh, we didn't have cell phones back then, and dialed the home phone number, and I left a message or something like, this is your firstborn child, your only son. Uh, if you would like, I'm here at the middle school, and being something real, you know, it's no small wonder why they left me with an attitude like that, right? And hung up the phone, and I went back and played with our friends a little bit more, and then they got picked up, and then it was just me and a couple of weird guys left, and they got picked up, and, and I'm just sitting there. By myself, on the curb, a couple teachers leave, you okay? No, I'm fine, I'm, I'm sure that my parents are still alive somewhere, you know, and they're going to come get me at some point. And then, you know, I started like doing the games in my mind, like what, what, what if they've forgotten me, right? Like what if they literally have forgotten me? So I go and I, I place a, a phone call back to my parents, like, hey, I'm sorry about that first message, I love you guys, I do want to come home at some point, so if you could come pick me up and... And I sit there, and I make it sound like I was like midnight. It was probably like an hour, right? And so I'm, I'm there, and I'm waiting, and I'm thinking to myself, how am I ever going to get home? And then certainly my dad comes in through the gate there, and here comes the two-tone brown on brown. And I see dad in the driver's seat. I know it's going to be okay because I know that I've not been forgotten. Today we're talking about moving from forgotten to promise kept. And even as I say that, I think for some of us in this room, we're looking for dad Hey, where's my dad at? Where's my heavenly father? I'm in the middle of this wilderness season. And I keep my eyes on the horizon. And I surely believe that he's going to show up in any minute. But it just isn't happening. And maybe you're sitting here today. And maybe you're feeling forgotten. Or maybe you know what that feels like in the past. Or maybe you're getting ready to head into a season where it would be so easy to feel forgotten. I want you to know today that you were never forgotten by our Heavenly Father. I want you to know today that His promises are always true. He will keep His promises no matter what. He is in our seasons of waiting. 
And I want to show you that display in the life of one man in Scripture, a guy by the name of Caleb. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14 is where we're going to be at. We start off in verse 6. And, and while you're flipping there, I want to give you just a little bit of background on this uh, so that you know Joshua and Caleb are the only two men that started off in Egypt with all the people and that made their way all the way to the promised land. Not the first time, but also in the second time to enter into the promised land. The only two men to do that. And so I want to do a little research about this guy, Caleb, since I was going to talk about him. And so I decided I was going to learn the name Caleb. What does it really mean? I looked it up in the Hebrew, and I was going to be so excited about this because my oldest child's name is Caleb. And I wanted to know, what does his name actually mean? So I looked it up, and I saw the definition there. In Hebrew, the name Caleb means dog. Well, that's, that's depressing when you find out that you name your child dog. Okay, that's not so good, but... Then it had the second definition. You know, the definition of the first one and then the second one. The second one said wholehearted or with all of your heart. I like that one a little bit better. And I think to myself, when there's a guy named, this guy named Caleb right here, there's no better descriptor for him of a guy who was wholeheartedly about the Lord. You see, when the people of Israel left Egypt, made their way across the wilderness, and ended at the, the kind of the doorstep of the promised land the first time, there were 12 spies that were sent in. And two of those spies were a guy named Caleb and a guy named Joshua. And they went into the land. And, and now there's a, a whole series of messages that Pastor Danny preached earlier this summer in June. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because it gives you a little more background. But just in a very quick way, let me tell you what happened. They started off in the wilderness. They went through a fruitful valley. Then they went up to the hill country. And when they got up to the hill country, they saw this city. The name of the city was Hebron. Keep that in your mind because it's going to come back up here in just a little bit. Then they went back down and they brought a report. Ten of the guys said, hey, we shouldn't even bother going in there. These guys are enormous. They're armed. Their cities are fortified, and we just cannot even begin to go in there. But Joshua and Caleb, they had a different tune. They said, we need to go in there. Uh the, The battle is as good as one. Literally, Caleb says, they will be as bread for us. We're going to eat them alive because we believe that God is with us, and God has removed his protection from them. Well, the whole nation decided to side with the ten spies who decided they did not want to go into the land. And only Joshua and Caleb stood their ground. And so when God kind of sees all this unfolding, he shows up on the scene and he says, the people of Israel are about to enter into a wilderness season. They're not going to be allowed to go into the promised land for 40 years and they're going to perish in the desert. But in the midst of that, God makes a promise to this guy, Caleb. It's going to be up here on the screen so you don't have to turn there. But Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, God makes this promise to Caleb. But my servant Caleb Because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Then he reiterates it a few verses later when he says, No one shall come into the land that I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. God gave this promise to Caleb and to Joshua. Now, Joshua 14. Fast forward. It's 40 plus years in the future. And we get to see Caleb on the other side of this promise. And he's going to be looking back. And he's going to tell you about how God has been faithful to him through this long waiting of God's fulfilled promise. So that's where we pick up the story here in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. The Bible says this. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him. This is Caleb and Joshua talking. Caleb says... 
You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Here's the first point, and we see it here, that Caleb trusted in the promise of God. Likewise, we need to trust in the promises of God. Trust in the promises of God. See, this was Caleb and Joshua's character. This is why when they heard that the people said, we don't want to go, they said, no, 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 we have to. Because we have to trust that if God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. We have to believe that this is going to happen. This is also why when God says, hey, you're, the whole nation's going to go into the wilderness for 40 years. They're going to perish there. But Caleb and Joshua, you're going to get a chance to go in to the promised land. It's why they could believe in God. Without question, they could believe the promise of God to say, we think this is going to come to pass because we trust in the promises of God. This was their character. And likewise, still for us today, God has promises for us. Promises in his word. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This past week, I spent some time, and I'm just reading through the book of Romans, and I came across Romans chapter 8 in my own personal devotion time, and it was just filled with the promises of God, filled with the promises of who he is. Let me just show you just a few of these. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, listen to this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That if you're in Christ Jesus today, the promise of God is that there will never be condemnation for you before the Father. Or how about this, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That for those who love God, that God works for his good and for his purposes and our good in his plan. How about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the promises of God that nothing can separate us from the love of God once we've placed our faith in him. Promises. The promises of God. Now, the promises of God are not where you read in your own desires into God's word to get what you want out of it. You understand that, right? It's not where you come to a passage of scripture like 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where it says, you by his poverty might become rich. Might become rich, I kind of like that. Well, buy me some scratch-off tickets and see how that works, right? The Lord says he wants to make me rich, right? So that's going to happen, right? No, no, listen, the promises of God are not where you read your desires into God's word, but it's where God clearly says, here's who I am, and here's how you can trust me. Here's what you can believe about me. And let me tell you, I will come through. If I've said it here, I will come through. For many of us, though, trusting God and trusting his promises are the hardest part. That whole issue of trust right there. Let's be honest, like, we get let down a lot by other people, by the circumstances in our life. Like, we just get let down a lot. And this issue of trust is hard for us, even for an almighty God. So it wasn't long ago, our staff went on this uh, staff retreat. Uh, we went out to this place in Georgia that we go to uh, at least every year since I've been here, here on staff. And, and while you're there in the meetings, you hear this sound. It sounds like this. Just keep on hearing this. 
it's because there's zip lines literally right over where our meeting area is at. Well, this year, a few of us decided we were going to go out and we were going to have a staff bonding experience and go zip lining, right? We were going to go zip lining together. Now, I will tell you, I didn't know this. There are quite a few staff members at our church that are afraid of heights. I don't know if you knew that or not. There's quite a few that are afraid of heights. And yet, for whatever reason, they decided they were going to get on the zip line with us. Now, I'm not going to give you any names of these, but I will tell you that one of them, the, the first letter of the name is S, and it rhymes with Cot Heath, all right? So I'm just saying there are some people on our staff that are desperately afraid of heights, right? So we get all geared up with our harnesses and the helmet. And why do they give you the helmet? Like, what good is that going to do if you fall from that height? But they give you the helmet for your own heart's sake. And then you decide you're going to go up these, this big, tall tower so you can go down the first zip line. So we start the ascent up there, and you go up a couple flights of stairs, and you get up a couple flights, and now you're looking down on the buildings, and you go up a few more flights of stairs, and now you're looking down on some treetops, and then you get to the top, and you start to feel the, the tower kind of sway up on you. You ever been up there, and you kind of feel it swaying on you? Like, this shouldn't sway like this. This shouldn't be like that. I'm looking at a few of our staff members up there, and they're having a little bit of a panic moment. I wish we had you know, paper bags to pass out to breathe in for a few people, right? And I'm there, and I'm trying to play it cool, calm, and collective. Oh, this doesn't bother me at all. I'm so good. I'm so good with heights. In my heart of hearts, though, I'm praying. I'm just praying. I'm praying, Lord, I don't want to die this way. I don't want to go out like this, not off a zip line. Come on, Lord, I don't want to die today. I'm just quoting scripture like, Lord, this is the day that you have made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, but only if I'm alive, God. If I'm dead, I can't do that. So I need you, Lord, right now to show up. And then I start thinking to myself, well, what if it's his will for me to go today, right? Like, what if it's my time, right? So then I start praying for my family. Oh, God, help my kids to grow up and you. Help my wife to meet a good man and remarry and make him a little less attractive than me. And that would just be great, Lord. So I'm praying. And then they say next. And like a lamb led on to the slaughter, I have to take my step up there to the platform. And they hook me in this harness. And this harness, in this moment, it's all about how much I trust the harness, right? Because see, if I trust this harness, I can take the first step off of this thing. And I believe that it will carry me from this side to there unto the future. From this side to that which I cannot see behind the tree line over there. I can believe that if I trust this harness. Well, there's no looking back now. So I hold on to the harness. Three, two, one, jump. And I'm just gripped onto this harness. Then it doesn't take me long to realize I don't have to hold on to this harness. This harness is holding on to me. And if I trust this harness, then I can get to the other side. Listen to me, don't miss this. You trust God and you trust his promises. Understand this, you don't have to hold on to him. He's holding on to you. He's got you wherever you're at today. He's got you. But you're going to have to trust him and trust that he's there and believe it even when it doesn't make sense to believe it. And when you do that, you'll see your life go from where you're at today to where God wants to take you into the future. That's the promises of God when we trust them, that it gives us hope for whatever we're facing in the wilderness. Caleb trusted God for 40 years. He trusted God to take him from this side to the other side of the wilderness. And God did it. But there's more here. Joshua 14, now down in verse 10. And now behold... The Lord has kept me alive. Again, this is Caleb speaking. The Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. This is the second point. 
You are not forgotten by a faithful God. You are not forgotten by a faithful God. Now, I'm going to explain to you in just a minute. He says 85 years. You said, hey, wait a second. If you know your Bible thing, when he when it first kind of came into this promise, he was 40 years old. Why is it 45 years? I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But right now, I want to really focus in on the 40 years in the wilderness. The time that the people were starting to die off in the wilderness and that Caleb had to hold on to hope in the wilderness. This was not an easy season for Caleb in his life. Shortly after he'd been given the promises of God, he saw some terrible things there in the wilderness. See, so he gets that promise in Numbers 14. At the end of Numbers 14, they suffer a humility, a humiliating military defeat. Number 16, there's a rebellion where people try and overthrow the leadership of the nation of Israel and overthrow Moses. Numbers 20, even Moses himself falters and gets barred from the promised land. And later on in Numbers 20, he sees the death of a couple of friends, Aaron and Miriam. The first of of many, many deaths of family and friends that he would have to endure over his time there. Unimaginable hardship, unimaginable hard times. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel this part of the world. It's dry, it's arid, it's desolate, it's bleak. And this is the backdrop where Caleb has to continue to believe in the promises of God. And don't you know, And there were probably times when he felt a little forgotten. We felt like maybe God wasn't there. 40 years is 14,600 days just rolling by. Just rolling by. To put that in perspective for us today, 40 years ago was 1977. Jimmy Carter had just finished his first six months in office. The internet was not accessible to the public, and cell phones were like something from Star Trek, right? Like, we didn't even have this whole idea of, like, cell phones, right? And yet, for that endurance of that entire time, as Caleb walks through this, he has only this promise of God to hold on to. I want you to imagine if I made a promise to you, if I made a promise to you, and said, here, here's what I'm promising you. How long would you believe that promise Would you believe it for five years? Would you believe it for 10 years? 20? 30? 40 years. It's easy to feel forgotten in the waiting. But listen to this. You are never forgotten by a faithful God. Here's the the truth of God's word today that I want to share with you. That God knows the very number of hairs on your head. You don't even know the number of hairs on your head. God knows the number of hairs in your head. God says to us in his word that if one sparrow falls from the sky, that he sees it. And then he says, how much more important are you than the sparrows? God sees you. In fact, I think for some of us in this room, that's what we really need to hear today is that God sees you today. He sees you. And you know what our problem is? It's not that God has forgotten us. It's that sometimes we forget just how faithful God is. Sometimes we forget that he is faithful even in the waiting. But we have to understand, just as Caleb understood, that even if God is a promise keeper, even if we're believing him through every season in every wilderness, that he is a promise keeper, that promises fulfilled in the future require patience in the present. Promises fulfilled in the future require patience in the present. Caleb and Joshua had to patiently wait 
on the promises of God to be fulfilled. And they waited for decades. They trusted for decades. And God came through on the other side. And when I think about that, I think about kind of a, a season of life for us a little more than a year ago. Um, we had uh, twins on the way. And we, my wife was pregnant with twins and don't know how that happened. I don't know, we don't have twins in our family and that kind of thing. But many of you in this room, you, you joined us in prayer because around about week 20, we found out there was something wrong in the pregnancy and that, that one of our baby's lives was, was, uh, was just in danger. And it was just a, it was kind of an unsteady season there. But then I remember being there on June 26, 2016, in the delivery room, excuse me, June 27th, 2016, in the delivery room. And I remember when the doctor delivered Will, the one that was supposed to be struggling. And I remember when the doctor said these words, well, we didn't expect this. Hey, look how healthy he is. Look how robust he is. Look, look, look at him. Look at how good he looks. And they wrapped him up, and they wrapped up Andrew, our other son, up. And they gave me both of the babies, which is really intimidating for a guy that's never carried two babies at the same time before. And they give me two newborn babies, and we go back to the recovery area, and then we go back to the room. They don't even have to go to the NICU. They don't have to go to, to the step-down unit. They're right there with us, right? So we go, and we're in the room. And then it's almost time for discharge. We spend a couple of days there, and we are literally hours away from discharge. They're going to take us out the next morning. It's, it's getting late the day before, close to midnight. And they come in to do just the last couple of tests. Now, we have already packed the bags because we're going home, right? And they come in and they run these last couple of texts and they, tests and they say, I'm so sorry, but these babies aren't going home with you. They're not ready. And how quickly for me to see God's faithfulness in the birth of our children, how quickly it was for me to lose faith in that moment and to say, Lord, where are you at right now? You just did this great thing. Why can't we just go home? Why can't you just make it so we can just get out of there? Now, I won't spare you, I'll spare you all the details here, but for the next 24 hours, things were just difficult. It was just hard. We were dejected as a couple. My wife and I, we were just having a hard time with this whole thing. And it was late the next night, and we're sitting there in the NICU room, and the babies are in this, these containers there. And this guy comes up to the curtain, and this is what he says. He says, are the babies sleeping? And he said, um, yes. He said, I will come back. I am loud, and I will scare the babies. That's what he says to us. Okay. So a few minutes later, after the babies had kind of woken up and kind of doing their thing, this guy comes back in. His name's Dr. Mina. He works at Brookwood Hospital. He's a believer. And he sat with us for, I don't know, what seemed like the longest time. And he just voiced over to us. He said, hey, listen, I want you to know that our God is a faithful God. I want you to know that our God will come through. Even in this, he will come through. I want you to know that you're going to have to wait, but that's okay because God's in the waiting. Just be patient. Just be patient. And he talked to us about prayer and he put his arms around us. And it meant the world to us. And we walked away just believing in the faithfulness of God. And over the next several weeks, as Will in particular was there in that in a, in a NICU room, they discovered that he had some issues with his heart and that if he had gone home, he would have missed the stimulation that he needed to keep him going because there were several moments in the hospital where his, bottom, his heart rate bottomed out and had to be stimulated to keep him alive. And if he had gone home with us, but the message was clear. God is in the waiting. He knew. And he said, if you'll be patient, if you'll see what I am doing, I am going to work in your season of waiting. You know what? Caleb, at 85 years old, 
looked back over the last several decades of his life at his season of waiting, and you know what he said? I see God's hand in all of it. God is faithful, and you are not forgotten. But just remember that promises fulfilled in the future may require patience in the present. Here's the next point. God's promises will challenge us to take the hill. I'm going to explain what that means in just a minute. But God's promises will challenge us to take the hill. Number, or excuse me, Joshua chapter 14 verse 11 says this. This is Caleb speaking. I am still strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Verse 12, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Now, I love the spirit of Caleb in this moment. Because you see, you read verses 11 through, or excuse me, 7 through 11, and you think to yourself, give this guy a standing ovation, right? Like, he's been faithful for so long. Caleb, it's time to relax, buddy. You're 85 years old. You've done enough. Just sit back and just wait. But starting in verse 10, and then in verse 11, and then in verse 12, he keeps on using this word over and over and over again. Now, now, now. I gotta go now. We gotta go now. Straight away. We gotta go. I need you to give me this hill country, Joshua. And understand what's there for him. There's the Anakim. The Anakim are large warriors. Think Goliath in your brain, okay? That's what's there in this city. These cities are fortified. Walls, uh, weaponized in an ancient kind of a way. This is just an intimidating situation. He's no spring chicken. He's 85 years old. And then he's about to attempt something that anybody with any kind of like a military know-how understands that taking the hill is one of the most difficult things to do in battle. And he says, bring it on. Why? Like, why is he so all about this hill country? Look what it says in verse 13. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became an inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Remember what I said earlier? When he's 40 years old and he's a spy and he walks up in there, do you know what city he sees on the hill? Hebron. And over 45 years, his vision has never diminished and he still believes that is promised land. You know, sometimes we say that, the promised land, and we forget what that means. That means that God promised it to Israel. And he believes, Caleb believes, that God is going to deliver on that promise that Hebron is going to work out and that he is going to be able to take the hill. Now listen, it's not because he's confident in himself because look what it says here in verse 12. He says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. His confidence is not in his own ability and not in his prowess. His confidence is in Almighty God who is able to work through his life to get this thing done. He looks at the hill and he already sees it's a victory won. He believes it. And God's promises will challenge us to take the hill. Again, not in our own strength, 
not because we're able, not because of our smarts or our strengths or our strategies, but because God promised it and we can take him up on his promises. When I think about this, I think about a young lady that was in our student ministry a number of years ago. Her name is Sarah Molinoff. Sarah um, was a homeschool student, and we used to talk a lot about reaching your friends for Christ. In fact, we talked a lot about how God wanted and desires to use every single person that has trusted him as Lord and Savior to bring about the spreading of his name to the world, to spread the gospel and to help other people trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We used to talk about that a lot. And so Sarah, she heard this, and she would always kind of at the end of it kind of come for counseling, and she said, well, you know, I, I can't because I don't know what to say, or I don't have friends that don't know Jesus, or I'm, I don't know what to do, or I, I can't get with a certain group. And she would say, can'ts and don'ts, and can'ts and don'ts. And how, how many of y'all know that sometimes when we say can't and don't a lot, that what we're really saying is, no, I won't. I won't do that. Because we just continue to challenge her and just continue to say, listen, God wants to use you in that way, Sarah. You just got to figure it out. So Sarah got a job at Chick-fil-A. Got a job at Chick-fil-A, not because she likes that Christian chicken and not because she needed a paycheck, but she got a job at Chick-fil-A for the glory of God to try and reach people for Jesus Christ. It was a few weeks after she started the job and Mercy came in on a Wednesday night and brought a girl with her that she'd been having spiritual conversations with. And that night, that girl with Sarah right there by her side gave her life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then the next week, that girl and Sarah brought another co-worker, and that guy gave his life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior with Sarah and the other girl right by his side. This happened, I'm not kidding you, for four or five weeks in a row. Pretty soon we walk in a Chick-fil-A, the guy in the kitchen, the another guy at the counter, and the girl in the drive-thru, they know Jesus because of the influence of one young lady, Sarah Molinoff, who said, I'm intimidated by this. This seems like a hill too big to climb. I'm not really sure God can use me in this way, but here's the thing. I know God's called me to it. I know God will see me through it. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go, and I'm going to take this hill. And God worked in and through her life in a great way, not because she's a great evangelist, but because God worked in her life. So I want to ask you, what's the hill God's calling you to? What is God calling you to do? What area of obedience is he calling you out of here? What area of scripture do we need to trust more? Because God's promises are to be trusted. And then you're going to have to take a first step because it will challenge you to take the hill. Then yesterday morning as I was praying through this message and I was thinking through this and I was thinking about that last point in particular, you know what I started thinking about? I started thinking about the fact that God has always won the victory for us. Has he not? Has he not always won the victory for us? I mean, think about the most insurmountable thing in all of our lives, sin. Think about how we could not overcome that on our own. We needed somebody to give us victory We need somebody to conquer that on our behalf. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he didn't take a hill by military force or strength. He took a hill with a cross on his back and said, I will win this victory for you. I'll take your death, the penalty for your sin on your behalf. I'm going to get the victory for you. He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. And more than that, three days later, he actually does get the victory when he raises in glory. And he says, I am alive. And now you have the opportunity to have your sins forgiven. I'm going to give the victory to you. I'm going to give it to you. 
So if you're a believer in this room today, understand this. God has been faithful to you. And as you look back over your life, understand this. As I look back over my life, God's already been faithful to me. At the cross, he was faithful. Understand this. At the resurrection, he was faithful. And he has shown up in a million other ways to show his faithfulness to me. But we always have the cross to look back to demonstrate to us the faithfulness of our God. But then let me say this as well. There could be that there are some in this room that have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Say, Steve, I, I, I don't have that experience of faithfulness with God because I don't know God in that way. I, I've never, never begun that relationship with him. Can I say this to you today? God has been faithful to you too, even if you don't know him. He's been faithful to you because he's not just faithful to the, the righteous and the people that get it right and the people that never mess up. That's kind of the whole point of this whole Christianity thing. He has been faithful to you and to me and to anybody. At the cross, he died for all. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted him as Lord and Savior, he's been faithful to you too. You just have to call out to him and trust in his faithfulness, trust in the promise that he does desire to save you to forgive you of sin, and to give you a new life in him. So I want to invite everybody in this room, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute, and I want to invite you, if you're here in this room today, and you know that you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And the way that we do that, the way that we place our faith in Christ, is simply by confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart. And so I want to leave you, lead you in a prayer. Now, let me just say this. You don't have to say this prayer verbatim. And you don't have to just repeat what the guy on the stage is saying. In fact, let me say this. If you just repeat what I'm saying, it's kind of a meaningless gesture. But I would say this to you. If today you're here and you're ready to place your faith in Jesus because you do believe that he died on the cross for your sin. And because you do believe that he is alive. And you do believe that an opportunity for a relationship with him is possible because of those things. Then you can put your faith in him today. So if you're ready to take that step, I want to invite you to pray silently in your heart as I pray this aloud and pray something like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and that I have disobeyed you. But I also know that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave and you conquered my sin. So right now, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And right now, I surrender my life to you. I turn away from living life my way and I turn to living life your way, God. Help me to know you and to walk in a relationship with you. With head still bowed and eyes still closed. I'm going to ask this question. There's no one else looking around. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come forward. We're not going to shine a spotlight on you. All I'm asking is if you will just look at me right up here. If you just prayed that in the silence of your own heart, would you just look at me right up here? If you're looking, keep looking. Okay. Okay. All right. If you're looking, keep looking. Okay. Hey, for those of you looking at me, or for those of you that prayed just now to place your faith in Christ, I want to say to you that we're excited for you. And we rejoice with you. And here's the deal. In just a few minutes, we're going to close up the service. And at the end of the service, as people are exiting, as people are walking out, we're not going to make you come forward, but as people are walking out, at the exits in the balcony and right up here to the left-hand side of the stage, my left, your right, we're going to have a few folks over here. And I would just encourage you, come and talk to us about the decision that you've made today.
Let me also say this to you. If, if that's intimidating to you, then, then I would encourage you, there's even a tab in your, in your worship guide. You can ch- pull it off and say, today I surrendered my life to Christ. And we'll be in contact with you. We won't harass you. We just want to, again, celebrate with you and help take those next steps in following God. You can bow your heads again. Hey, I want to pray a blessing on all of us and pray that God would use us to take the hills for him as we trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you that we are never forgotten by you. We thank you that, God, you are so very faithful to us and you keep your promises just as you kept them for Caleb. So, Lord, help us to walk in that today and to find hope in that today, no matter what wilderness season we find ourselves in, either today or in the future, God. Help us to trust you with that, to trust that you are ever faithful. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.